Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 3, Dinhianicus and the Art of Mythic Cartography. Episode 6, Fledrickram Part 3, Your Head or Mine. The Giant in the Meat Hall. In the flickering firelight of the evening feasting, the shadow of the newcomer filled the whole hall, darkening its comforting warmth. The man himself was a giant, huge, twice the height of any other. But he was no noble hero warrior, no, not this one. This one wore no garments striped with gold. This one had no brooch enameled or bejeweled. This one carried no fine blade of a sword. No, this giant of a man wore nothing but an old shabby hide and a cloak of drab dung. His hungry, huge and yellow eyes protruded from his head and strung from his meaty fist, each finger curled thick as a wrist. But the ugly buckluck was weaponed, and well weaponed at that. Strapped to his back and spreading over his head was a great tree club, full root hard. In his left hand was a staff, so thick and heavy that twenty yoke of oxen might have found it a burden. Yet it was the axe held in his right hand that drew the attention of all present. This was the axe of axes, its handle so heavy that only a full plough team might have moved it, and so sharp that a single hair blown in the wind would be severed, should it touch that blade. And now the ugly aberration stood stock still by the fire, under the roof fork, the highest place in the hall. There he stood, threatening in his confidence, blocking out the light and warmth from the company. Is the hall so mean that you can find nowhere else to stand? Mocked Dothluck, Beetletongue, refusing to be daunted. Oh, you'll make a fine blaze yourself if you stay that close to the fire. The giant laughed, untroubled by the taunt. Why then, he joked, in that case, you'll light up the whole hall without having to burn it to the ground yourself. But that's not why I'm here. The giant looked around him, meeting the gaze of Comcover, and his voice grew in strength and resonance. I have come to this company because you, men of Ulster, excel in strength and prowess, valour and honour, generosity and worth. I have come to you to crave from you a single boon. Fergus MacRoy regarded the newcomer with a fresh interest. And what is your quest? Can I be sure that the owner of Ulster will respect my request? Do Ulstermen keep their word? Well, can the honour of a whole province be lost just because one man fails to speak true, retorted Fergus, scorn streaking his voice. Shedok had glanced towards Concover and then spoke for his king. You'll find one who is worthy of you here, he answered quietly. Then I will speak, agreed the giant, looking directly towards Concova. Fergus, and yourself, Concova, I will not include on account of your status. Apart from you two, I ask only that I may cut the head from one of your warriors tonight, allowing him to cut off mine tomorrow night. There was a stunned silence. Then the warrior men called Fatneck guffawed loudly. 
Oh, I'll take up your challenge, he grinned, but we'll have it the other way round. Hey, bend down, Bucklock, and I'll cut off your head tonight. You can come for me tomorrow. Were that my quest? Well, I could have got that anywhere, sighed the Bucklock. But, oh, we will have it your way. You may cut off my head tonight, and I will avenge the deed tomorrow night. Batneck flexed his muscles. It was said he had the strength of a hundred. But could he wield that giant axe? He reached for it and took the axe from out of the Bucklock's hand. The giant calmly laid his neck across the block. Fat Neck didn't hesitate. He dealt such a blow to the giant that the axe stuck, quivering in the block underneath, while the head rolled to the base of the fork beam. There was blood everywhere. Fatneck stood up. He was breathing fast. Then, to the horror of the hall, the Bucklack also stood up. He straightened his headless torso and shook out his shoulders. And then, without hesitation, he reached down for his own severed head with one hand and the axe with the other. He lifted it, block and all. In fascinated terror, the company watched the headless giant leave the hall, blood still flowing from the raw wound neck. Fatneck shuddered, and knew for a certainty that he was on a lost, knew for a certainty that he would not be in the feasting hall the following evening. Right, well we've kind of started at the end of it with this section. Um, we'll it's come... dramatic, isn't it? It is, it's great. Uh, we'll come back to that scene um, toward when we actually finally reach the end of the text. But uh, first of all, we wanted to talk about why we've done this text in three parts. And, I mean, obviously it's quite a long text and there's a lot to cover, but that's not the only reason. No, I think the story naturally splits into three sections. Mm. And I think it's quite interesting when you look at them. In the first part, the heroes have an opportunity, I think, to settle the problem between themselves. Yes. Quite naturally, you know, yeah. man to man. Exactly, yeah. And in sort of the normal way that you might expect. Yeah, take control of their own yeah. business. Um, they don't need anybody else. So they can gr grieve among themselves who's to have the champion's portion exactly and that was if you like the burden of the first part wasn't it mm. they failed yes of course <laughs> they did because again they, they just are never satisfied with the solution so in the second part which is where they went to the road to Crookham, yes this is where they had to go off and ask somebody else to settle it for them yeah they needed a sort of a mediator or an arbiter and it's interesting that the arbiter is um of their own people yes just it's equals in a different clan yes exactly so they're going to their equals their peers yeah yeah or they're cousins as you could see this being Ireland you know but yeah that it is outside the the immediate circle of the the Rua of Ulster uh, but it's still yeah it's still closely connected and a recognized arbiter if you like you know? and there are many many marriage and mm. unities oh, the, yeah other oh, people are always going from Cruachan to Evelynmacha and back again that mm. seems to be one of the so established routes it's like the county court really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is a bit yeah we've gone from the the local to the mm -hmm. circuit court but the third part the, well they fail again exactly yeah they can't get to a decision mm. so in the third part they now have to be judged by well, in a way, it's like other world authorities, mm. that which belongs to a completely different order. Exactly, yes. Uh, they failed to accept the temporal authority. Mm. They must now go to the spiritual authority, or but 
ancestral. In this case, ancestral. Exactly. I'm just comparing. Yeah. You usually talk about temporal and spiritual. Yes. But here it's temporal and ancestral. ancestral. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's very much where Kuroi comes into this. You know, we, we've mentioned before how he seems very similar to the Dagda and he certainly seems to inhabit the same sort of world mm. um, as the Dagda would and uh, you know we'll sort of have a look at some of those details later on but it definitely is kind of I think you said earlier about going deeper in each time mm-hmm. you know to to try and get to some kind of base authority really so now they're really out of their depth aren't they yeah yeah and this is kind of their their final chance as well you know and yet it seems you know all the way through we've said that uh uh, Logra and Kohnel keep complaining mm-hmm. that it's not fair exactly. because uh, Cahorn comes from the other world. Yes, and so he's got this advantage over them. Like when when they're judged by Alil and Maeve, they they have two complaints. One is that uh, they were tested by cats and they're not. You know, they fight humans, not cats. And the other one uh, with the business of the cups was that Cahorn uh, had bribed his way into getting mm-hmm. those cups. So always shifting and saying this is not a fair test but now they're moving into Cahullan's world completely yeah and so, so it really isn't fair exactly <laughs> that, that's the thing all the way through it's you have to feel a bit sorry for the, those two well if they're moving to the other world I'm mean, this I as a storyteller I, I think this this world was always really interesting mm. in storytelling terms it's always a very confusing mm. place is the other world in story and I suppose the way I'd analyze it if I tried to list what the other world's about mm. that stories of the other world always contain elements of well for first of all time shifting oh yes yeah and then shape shifting mm. amazing yes yeah. wherever you think you are you aren't exactly and and sort of doors not going where they should and... it's the world of dream yeah. it's the world of the imagination yeah um and although uh, events don't conform to the rules of the temporal world mm. you know everyday physics doesn't count exactly yes <laughs> in this house we obey the laws of physics <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Mostly. I never noticed that. Yes. And then, but the, the one thing you do notice is that within, even though they don't obey the mm. everyday laws, there's always a very strong symbolic logic. Absolutely. And like you say, it's perhaps easiest to understand, if it's easy to understand at all, as a world it, like dreams. You know, it's the same yeah. kind of rules that apply in your the dreams. The other world, the world of the unconscious, yeah. but really just the world of the imagination. Yeah. And there's a strong logic to it. Exactly, Yes. Well, this third part or this final part of the text that we're dealing with today, it is full of all those elements of, you know, time and shapes and space shifting all over the place. And that is going to affect how we can tell this story. It's it's hard to tell chronologically. Isn't it, it is rather. Or, or um, textually chronologically. Yes. You know, yes. Hard to follow the text here. It is. And, you know, not least because there's a lot of different threads of the story have been brought into the text doubling of stories yeah there's a lot of doubling and kind of repetition and confusion and sometimes the order seems until we get to the final acceptance of colin's claim ah spoilers well yeah i already told the end of the yes exactly (laughs) and if you didn't guess that then you're listening to the wrong show and of course you can read henderson's translation his 1899 (coughs) translation for what it's worth uh, there's a link to it um, that's been put up with this episode and you'll find links to it on the articles on the blog as well. Yeah, so we can uh, deal with the doublings later. Yes, and, uh, and just get through the actual story. 
It's a good one. Let's go. Yep. Well, I think it's about time we met the Puppet Master. Yes. We finally get to talk about the Puppet Master. And he's the one who's been really um, calling the, the shots all along. Oh, you really have. Rather than, in fact, rather than Brick Room. Yeah. And uh, he's testing them every way he can. I know Kuro is one of your favourites, isn't he? Uh, he is, rather. And, um, you know, there's a very simple and straightforward reason for that. Um, my grandparents bought a holiday home down in Kerry in the 50s and it's at the foot of Cahar Cunry, which is the seat or the city or castle of Curoit. It's Curoit's fort. It is, yeah. And so this is where the heroes are going. Exactly. Where you used to go on holiday as a child. Yes, yeah. Every, every summer for... It's gorgeous know, down well, there. It is, it is a beautiful part of the world. I heartily recommend it on the Dingle Peninsula, Kirkuguibna. Um But yeah, so Curry is, it's a big mountain there. It's very close to the sea. Um, it does have a promontory fort on kind of one of its peaks if you like there's mm-hmm. sort of a lower peak and a higher peak and the lower peak has this uh, I think Iron Age ish promontory fort um, which has kind of a cliff edge for one of its mm-hmm. defences um, but then there is a little higher peak as well which has a cairn on it and uh, when you know when my dad went walking up there with his father back in the day they brought stones with them from the bottom all the way up to the top to leave at the cairn. We'll meet that cairn a bit later on won't exactly. we? Exactly <laughs> yes so Kuroi is you know that's his place and um he's very particular to that part of the country and um, he comes into more than one of these texts and stories that uh, concern the Ullads and Cúchulainn mm-hmm. um and but he always has that sort of apartness and that otherness to it and um i mean from the point of view of people like the the Reeses in Celtic heritage they associate Munster and particularly West Munster mm, with, with the, the other, other world. world. Yeah, and, and with otherness in yeah, in yeah. general. Well, it's difficult to get there. Well, it is from here, <laughs> definitely. We can start from here. No, no, that's But, right. um, you know, but I, I do the rest of Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Takes hours. But of course, you know, um, you Cork people obviously don't think it's difficult to get to. Um, but this really is the kind of the fringes, you know, mm, sort of the mm. those southwesternmost peninsula um, and really it's sort of next stop America when you're down there well apart from Skellig Michael well yeah which is <laughs> which is the edge of the edge of the extreme so our heroes are on our way to Corot Fort yes and of course um, his wife's there to greet them that's it when they arrive Corot himself isn't there um, or at least they say he's not there um, because I don't think you can really trust a word he says in some of these regards but they're greeted by Blothnad who's uh, Kuroi's wife now it's interesting what's uh, said about Kuroi in the text here he, he's away or says actually he's off setting up the big main test for him exactly yeah but there's an interesting thing that said it said from the age of seven years when he took up arms until his demise Kuroi had not reddened his sword in Erin or ever had the food of Erin past his lips nor could Erin contain him for his haughtiness, renown and rank, overbearing fury, strength and gallantry. <laughs> and what do you make of that? Well, it is a curious one. Um, I think that what's going on, I mean, Kuroid has, he mentions in other passages, you know, going off to Scythia and parts of Greece and, you know, all these far-flung places. Oh, he's an international traveller, right? Yeah, and I think that what it's saying is that uh, we have what's, what you'd term euhemerization, which sounds mm. like an awful word, um, 
And it's down to a Greek chap who called it you Hemorrhous. It sounds like a rather phlegmy cough, doesn't it? <coughs> Hemorrhization. Well, I was thinking more kind of, you know, sort of hernias and hemorrhages. Oh, right, well, that's getting worse. Exactly. So, but anyway, he was a Greek chappy who essentially looked at Greek mythology and imagined it to be bad history. Which is exactly what the medieval monks did. Exactly. And that's in the whole sort of Levergavola Book of Invasions tradition. That's what you get all the time is this kind of need to link up the mythology. To fit mythology into history. Exactly. Yeah. And make it into bad history. Funny yeah. enough I came a perf- came across a perfect example of that only a couple of days ago. Yeah. In our local town with uh, where there's a very nice heri- little heritage mm. shop, not centre. Mm-hmm. And the group were putting out information on the area. But one of their sections was mythology. Mm. And there I saw um that that the Milesians took over from the Dodolans mm. in fifteen hundred BC. Yes. Those so mythology is set at fifteen hundred BC. Exactly. Which kind of you go, well, I don't really know where to start. Yeah, yeah. As you put it, it's a yes. category mistake. It is a category mistake. It's and it's it's like Bishop Usher, who people love to laugh at these days, saying that the earth was created in four thousand and four BC on October twenty first on a Tuesday afternoon. Oh, I thought it was nine o'clock in the morning. I'm not sure what the exact time <laughs> is. To be honest with you, and does it matter <laughs> exactly? But it's a, it's a similar kind of mistake. But you know, it's not a modern thing to do by any manner or no, means. No, it's been going on since before the Greeks, hasn't it? Exactly, and and well, that's since the Greeks. Yeah, but that's part of what we have in this text is this idea that that Kuroi and everything that he does and stands for is foreign if you like it is Mm. other Mm. and so rather than putting him with this other world which doesn't really fit well with normal experience of the world instead they send him abroad they send Mm -hmm. him overseas now we're going to come across this quite a lot in this text it's Mm. interesting and this is something maybe for a future discussion that this text is not dissimilar from the date of the boitura text exactly and And yet, yet and yet this one shows is a modern text in the sense that mm. the other world is other yeah and if we can't understand it it's foreign yeah exactly. whereas that's the opposite of the way Moitura portrays the world yeah well anyway um, they arrive Blothnant makes them welcome and offers them the usual hospitality but, that means <laughs> exactly but there is a bit of a condition in, uh, attached and that is that because presumably because Kuroi is away each of the heroes has to guard the fort overnight in turn. And it's very specific that it's in uh, order of seniority. So the yeah. eldest of them, which is Loigara, who's gone first all the way through, has to go out first and then Connell and then Cuchulain for three nights in a row. But it's not quite as simple as that. Oh, no. <laughs> because uh, every night, uh, Karoi is supposed to chant a spell over the fort, presumably mm. whether he's there or not. Yeah. And the fort will revolve says as swiftly as a millstone yeah. in the morning so it just keeps revolving so there's no way you can find the entrance exactly yes once once you're outside once it's dark yes. you won't be able to find your way until morning yeah um, so, so it says be... the entrance would never be found after sunset yes it's interesting that this, this revolving fort yes it is and I mean, there's there's several things about it that, that uh, interest me. I mean, one of them is that the the mountain itself, Carcanry, locally it is said that the top is covered in cloud 360 days of the year. Is the you way can that only it goes. find it for five days a year. Exactly. That sounds like most. I know. I know. Doesn't it? Well, the, the, the mountains are slightly bigger in Kerry than they are around here. But yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things, and that that's a so that is associated with this idea that you can't find the door. 
um, of the fort. You can't find the way in. Um, but there's also a related story um, which is to do with Cúchulán actually coming and, and eloping with Blothnad. Um, because of this, she has to send him a signal um, mm. of how to find the door. And she does it by pouring milk into the river Finglas. Mm. And that's a river which is said to have its source within the bounds of uh, Kuroi's fort. I just thought of something. Yes. You know that the, the last story of Cahullan and mm. Fionn, the two giants of Not Many Hill, mm. one of the things where that uh, Una mm. sets, he says, oh, you know, come in, giant, but um, Fionn's away. Well, when, when Fionn's usually here, mm. he turns the house every day. Yes, yeah. And the other task she sets him is to move a river. Yeah, yeah. There is a memory Absolutely, of yeah. this story yeah. in the Northern Irish story yes, of, of the Two and Giants of Not Many Hill, which yeah. is the last appearance, if you like, of Cahill and yeah. Fionn. Yeah. Um, that's a story yeah. I might see if I can find or write Absolutely, a copy of. Yeah. But I did, just as you're, you're talking, right. yeah, yeah. I suddenly thought it's still there. Yes, yeah. What I was going to say was the more obvious things, like the, the Welsh Arian Rod, Will's well, mother. Which um, her castle is said to be of the Silver Wheel and um, that, that re- revolves in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but that's associated with the Milky Way. And mm. um, that was the connection I was making in my head, was the pouring of the milk into the river. And then that Cúchulán would walk up the river. So he's walking up the Milky Way. There's a lot more to this, isn't there's there? There's a huge amount in here, you know. And especially as we say that generally um, there's a lack of star law. Mm. That's because we never get to see the stars. Well, exactly, exactly. But the Milky Way definitely has yeah, its place. Yeah. You know, that that's that's one that is uh, referred to. You know, again, there's some other later Irish folk tales that talk about the woman and the wheel of the world. And again, it's sort of hard to visualise because it's a vertical wheel that mm. sort of rises up and down again. And I think that refers to the way that the Milky Way doesn't always join up to the horizon. Mm. You know, so mm. you imagine it as this big wheel kind of encompassing the Earth, but that sometimes it's too high up for you to get to. Yeah, it's interesting that there are cosmological connections mm. to some of these stories. Well, you know, we could talk about this for hours. Exactly. But we've got a long story to talk well, about. that's it. But it just goes to show sort of where they are now. This is the world they're now entering. Yeah, you know, yeah, is yeah. Kuroi's world, which has, you know, revolving castles and rivers yeah. of milk. And I was know. also thinking, again, this is a completely disconnected story of Bran, who we might mention, mm. you know, might come back into it when we're talking about Kuroi later. Mm. And again, they're in a, a, a room with yes. lots of doors. Yes. And they have to find the right one before they can yeah. go back to the real world. Yes. Go yeah. back to the everyday world. Exactly. This obviously is quite an important mm. um, place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, let's tell the story. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, these poor heroes will never get their issues sorted out. Right. I think possibly because the same story is going to take place three times. Exactly. Once for Loigera, once, once for, for Colonel, and, and then, then once for Cullen. Yeah. I, I think I'll, I'll chance the Henderson text for the yes. next bit. Well, this is a sort of pricey of the yeah. text anyway. As he kept watch, he saw a giant approaching him as far as his eyes could see from the sea westwards. The giant was huge and ugly and horrible. And in height, he seemed to reach the sky and so big that the sheen of the sea was visible between his legs. His hands full of stripped oaks, each of which could only just be carried by a wagon team of six. And one of the stakes he threw at Logra, who let it pass. Three times he threw and Logra dodged. Then Logra hurled a spear at him and he missed. So they can't hit each other. Yeah, yeah. They keep throwing things at each other. And now what happens is the giant then grabs Logra. Yes. Logra. <laughs> you know, they can throw things at each other indefinitely. So yeah. he just grabs him. Yeah. And uh, in Logra feels like he's uh, fits 
like a year old child into the clutch of his opponent. Yeah. So he definitely is a giant. Yeah. The giant then sort of grinds I love this phrase, he grinds him in his grasp as a chessman is turned in a groove. <laughs> so you've got this image of, of the turn wood yes. turner. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. like that bit. Mm. And in that state, half dead, the giant mm-hmm. tosses him out over the fort until he falls into the mire of the foss at the palace gate. Yes. <laughs> Now, the fort has no opening, so everyone inside the fort thinks he's leapt over the yes. fort. He can't find his way in. The giant has thrown him. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's going, wow, <laughs> what a leap. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, um, nobody else could have possibly done that. So yes. he set he has set the bar. Yes, and inadvertently. <laughs> it's almost like a parody of a superhuman feat, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly becomes so. You and know. funny. Yeah. I oh. love it. The idea that the giant... just picked up and thrown. thrown him. And everyone's going, how did you do that? That yeah. was the most amazing <laughs> leap we've ever seen. Yeah. And of yeah. course, Conal's watching. Yeah, yeah. And so is Conal. Naturally. And of course, the same thing happens to, to Conal. on the following night. Yeah, as, exactly as you same. might have expected. Yeah, including being chucked over the wall. Um, so then... Everything rests on Cuchulain's head as the yeah. third and the youngest. Yeah. And as usual, the entire episode is completely OTT. Well, which it has to be. Well, as soon as you get Cuchulain involved, the scale just has to go way up. And of course, it's complete coincidence mm-hmm. that the night he goes out for his turn, it just so happens that there's a large number of enemies who just plan to attack the fort that night. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we have them listed. They seem to be kind of, I think of them as bandits or, you know, sort of groups mm-hmm. of gangsters of some sort or another. Um, Whether Confederates of Kuroi or not, it's uncertain. I, my feeling is that they're kind of, if you like, traditional foes of oh, So these, of this Kuroi. is a complete inc- coincidence. I, th- I think it is. I don't think that this is... You not know, part of his plan? No, I don't think it is. OK, but, well, tell us who they are. OK, well, we've first of all, we've got the three glash of uh, Seschen Urveol. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you say so. Yes, the three glash, that's as in the, the colour word Grays. glass. Oh, yeah, grey, green, green, blue. You know, in modern Irish it's green, in modern Welsh it's it's often blue. Um, sort of watercolour. Sea coloured, exactly. Mm. Um, but here's a health warning. Uh, Henderson has translated this word for some reason as goblins. Okay. See, kind of no goblins. idea why. No, it's um, yeah. So, but anyway, they're of uh, one could assume either of the household of possibly or the regiment of this character, Seschen Urveil, who has a great big mouth or possibly just a big lip. Okay, so he's a loud-mouthed uh, bandit. Yeah, exactly. And then the next gang, um, who are also, you know, com- well, I think they are all in cahoots and they're going mm. to, you know use all their forces together. But the next distinct grouping is the three Buad Altig um, of Brega. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm kind of... I, I'm a little bit... Hmm. I can see now why... Um, Henderson calls Henderson them... Henderson calls ox them... Oxfeeders. Oxfeeders. But uh, I, it's... I think the Buad and Eltuch mm-hmm. is more to do with cattle rustling. Right. I think he's gone Buad 
Beltach. Oh, so sort of cattle booty. Yes, but yeah, I think it's Boaz Beltach. So, so we've got... Um, the, the three cattle rustlers of Breca. There's, there's the loudmouth crowd yes. and there's the cattle rustlers. Yes. And then you've got this last one, so it says it's Sons of Big Fist. Yes. Big um, Fist McFarren, sorry. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> well, not quite. But they are the three sons of Durnvorit, which is a large fist yeah, or well, a great fist. That makes sense for a, a, a bandit, Exactly, it? yeah. But it's Durnvorit Kjol, and that's the word that we still have in modern Irish, Kjol, for music or musical. So Musical fist. <laughs> yeah, well, or this great fist of music. Yeah, it's, it's a loud noise, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yes. And you do often find that in these stories, you often find this idea of the music of battle. But yeah, they all have that sort of comment Exactly. About it. So they've all kind of met in the hinterland somewhere and are planning to attack Carcunry on that night. But that's not the end of it. Uh, because it has also been prophesied that on this night, a great I know old a... pest, uh, a great worm or a great monster, uh, will come up out of the lake at the bottom of the mountain and attack. And uh, devour the whole host. Exactly, yeah. So did, did you think they bothered to tell Colin that there was this prophecy? Um, well, I don't know whether it would have made much difference, to be <laughs> honest. They might not have, but, you know... Well, through a lot of this story, he's needed to be goaded and taunted, you know, in, into facing these great beasts and monsters. Now, what's interesting is here, Cahullan is described as going out that night full of forebodings and, yeah. and fears. And melancholy and Yeah, why? Misery. I'm not sure, because that's not... Although there are ty- times when he's constantly described as melancholy. Yeah, yeah, this seems to be one of his, you know, characteristics in this tale. Yeah, but nevertheless... Um, he sees them coming, he challenges them, friend or foe. Yes. I presumably they say foe, not Yes, friend. exactly. How do people do that? I know, it's a whole existential quandary, <laughs> yes. It's one of the and deep he, questions of philosophy. And then he fights the three nines. Yes, uh, which are very clearly three nines here, even though we've got sort of three groups of three, as they were described, you know, the yeah, three when, sons and When so we were on. looking at the numerical symbolism yes. at the end of Moitura, yes. the nines had a very clear meaning, didn't yeah. they? And I think that whenever we come across them in, in text, that we have to read it as battalion, mm-hmm. you know. So there are three battalions of these three factions, and of course Cúchulain just makes mincemeat of them. Um, but what's particularly nice is that he makes a cairn of all their sort of heads and weapons. Um, mm-hmm. on, and it says he makes this cairn on the watching seat. And so I kind of... Here's this cairn. Yeah, I imagine that to be the top peak, which kind of overlooks the promontory fort. And you're telling me this to the cairn where the cairn is. So I yeah. think that that's, you know, where, where that idea comes from, that that's where they would have sat yeah. for the watch out, you know. And then he gets to fight this... Water monster. Yes, this old fest. I love the way it's described. It's great, yeah. Because uh, 30 cubits in curvature above the lock, big enough to swallow a house in its open <laughs> gullet. Sounds like the Loch Ness Monster. Well, I think the Loch Ness Monster is an old fest. You know, we do have these in, it's in actually various a lakes and rivers. Isn't yeah. it? This curved neck mm, mm. and the, the great mouth. Yes. The, but the, above all, this long curved neck. Yeah, yeah. But also that it's a sort of a worm type monster. Well, we don't have dragons, do no, we? No, no. But we do have Alfest and cats. Okay, yeah, but yeah. not the same person. <laughs> cats don't like water. 
<laughs> but now it's how he defeats the, the monster. Yeah, I know that's one of your favourite bits. Well, isn't it? I think it's it's very kind of redolent of those who know kind of Cuchulain's whole story because it describes how he put his two hands around the neck of this pest and that they they wrestled together. Now this is how After he was swooping feet. Oh yes, he remembers. He, there's all this thing he calls to mind. Oh, yeah. Just swooping. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, know I just that remembered. I can fly. You know. <laughs> It's a superhero move. Yeah, it you know, is. Oh, what about, you know, one of those Mortal Kombat type games? Yes. You know, where you oh, have yeah. your special... He's now going to do his special combo. Exactly. If you press the right buttons, yeah. which I can never do. I can never get, get. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So he's pressed his, his uh, you know, down, square, 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 X, up, up, jump, crawl, whatever, and done this swooping feat, uh, wraps his arms or his hands around the neck of the pet. As swift as a winnowing riddle. Yes. <laughs> which is... You know, I found that interesting because it's how uh, it's described at the very beginning of the text when he's talking about wrestling his two horses mm-hmm. and them coming out of a lake and then he puts his hands around the, the neck and they wrestle and that way they go all across the country. So, you know, there's a, an echo of that there. Mm. But his kind of, his uh, coup de grace is that he... Finish him. Yeah, <laughs> is that he sticks his hand Sorry. right the way down the pest's gullet and pulls out its heart and I think that that sort of recalls the image of how Cuchulain got his adult name of Cuchulain from being Shaythanda where he had he met the guard dog of mm. Cullen the Smith the, the and only story that everybody at exactly. school, in our school seemed to know yes and that in order to sort of you know get the dog off him he, he throws the the, hur- the hurley schlitter down its neck so which mm. is like a, a ball or puck or whatever so and that, you know it's that sort of image of reaching down into the animal's throat um and pulling out his heart yeah. again it's quite a strong um fairy tale it turns up again exactly. and again in myth yes and yeah. uh and above all folk tale yeah yeah again i think he cuts off the head he adds it to the pile of spoils he's already got but he's still bloody miserable and he still has to fight the giant himself. Exactly. He's still got Ligurus and Conal's feet to do. Exactly. He yeah. doesn't get let off. I love the way he's introduced the giant. Yes. The oh, giant yeah. comes up and says, Bad night, says he. <laughs> <laughs> to be worse for you, you back lucky reply. Yeah. I love the way, after all this, he comes up and asks him if he has a bad night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just get works out much the same as the others. Exactly. I mean, they can't hit each other. Mm. They throw all sorts of things at each other. Yeah. They just can't touch each yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually the same thing happens. He reaches for the... The giant reaches out for him to grab mm. him, to grind him like a chessman. Yeah. Of course, uh, Cahullan remembers his salmon leaf yes. this time and his swooping feet. Mm. And I like the way he comes down over the giant's head. Yeah. <laughs> We're really into sort of uh, martial arts stuff Big here. Time. This, this yeah. stuff could be choreographed by John Woo. Uh, really good. Or Jackie Chan. He wheels around the giant's head till he's mm. dizzy. Mm. He says he makes a water wheel of him. Yeah. Until the giant's helpless. Yeah. With Cahullan just wheeling around his head. Yeah. And the giant's going, ooh. It's, it's very kind of wacky races or cartoon time, isn't it? It is. Yeah. But it's just totally over the top. Yeah. No, I, I don't know about wacky races. I was mm. thinking, I was trying to give it a little more. I was thinking more <laughs> of hero. Well, it's just that, that thing of no, you know, I like de- hero. defeating, defeating um, an enemy by making him dizzy. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. It's that obviously the, the, um, the exchange of missiles doesn't work. 
you know, and Cuchulain is too quick to be grabbed. So he has to kind of find another way of incapacitating. And once he's incapacitated yeah. the giant, he's yeah. effectively won. Exactly. So then he can ask for his three wishes. Yes. Because we've even got this motive yeah. coming into the story. Yeah. This is the three wishes. Yeah. And of course, the giant says that, you know, you can have your three wishes, but only if you can say them all in one breath. Now, that's one of the usual conditions yeah. that turns up over and over again in folktale. Mm. So I, I could give examples, but mm. I, we'd be here all day. If exactly. Yeah. That. Yeah. So, of course, what he asks for is that... Predictably. Yes, that the champion's portion should be his completely unequivocally and forever and mm -hmm. no more dispute about that. Uh, that he should have precedence over all the heroes of Ulster, again, mm -hmm. forever and without contest, and that his wife should have precedence over all the women of Ulster. Yeah, which is what he's been trying to get all the time. Exactly. Trump is the first two he's sort of got at birth, hasn't he? Well... In or a way, at birth, when he grows up and he asks, "Do you want a short life?" Yeah, yeah. What well, short life or a glorious? One, yeah, yeah, yeah. Short life or a merry one? Yeah. Uh, it's he's constantly his whole life is trying mm. to prove himself. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's another matter. It is rather. Then the giant just vanishes. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You've got your wishes. Well done. Um, but no, this is not good enough for Cuchulain. Well, the trouble is, he's still got a decidedly Cuchulain-shaped problem to yes. deal with. <laughs> the problem is that the other two heroes mm. have made this incredible leap. Yeah. They got into the fort when nobody could get in. Yes. What he doesn't know is they didn't leap. Yeah. They were thrown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Cuchulain is, is absolutely vexed by this. And, and he's of course, totally exhausted. Yeah, and he doesn't have the giant to help him anymore. Um, so he thinks he's got to do it for real. Yeah, exactly. And we have we've met this before. We met Cuchulain's kind of misinterpretation of events he with get the it, wheel feet, yeah, you know, yeah. in, in Cuchulain. So yeah, when he thinks people are laughing at him yeah. and so forth. Yeah, but he's got to do it. You know, well, if they can do it, yeah. I'm going to do it. So there. Yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, it's fantastic. So he's exhausted after fighting mm. all night. Yes. Well, you go on. Really feels that he has to match these two. He can't let them best him in any way. Um, so he starts kind of pacing and running up toward the wall of the fort to try and leap over the wall. Um, but he kind of runs up and then smacks against the, the side of the, the wall. On the wall. Exactly. <laughs> and then he goes back and does it again. <laughs> so you've got this, you know, sort of exhausted, bloody... Just you running know, up and butting his head against the wall. Head-butting a like mountain, you know? Um, so, which is fantastic. He keeps jumping up and down so he can see over the edge of the wall. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't get him over. No, no. So, so just imagine, he's butted the wall. Now he's leaping up and yeah. down so he can see over the top. Yeah. Anyway, go on. So then, again, he finally remembers that he's got superpowers. Uh, I'm a superhero. Yeah, and once again, it brings in this, I think the swooping feet comes in again and salmon leaps and... You know, it basically he manages to do one of these superhuman leaps and finally over the wall and into the fort where he does collapse in a heap. Yeah, I love the way that, um, you know, when he's jumping up and down, he'd sink up to his knees in the earth. Yeah. <laughs> because he's jumping so, so hard. High, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, head buzzing a fort. And then another time he'd leap so lightly that he wouldn't take the jaw off the grass. Of course. So yeah. It's just going ridiculous. I know, I know. Yeah, I mean, this this really is, you know, this needs to be filmed by the yeah. traditional Hong Kong. What with the fit and fury that raged upon him, <laughs> he stepped over the fort outside and alighted in the middle of the door of the palace. His two footprints were in the flag on the floor of the hold at the spot where was the royal entrance. Yeah. He thereafter entered the house and heaved a sigh. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I bet that bit would have been popular with an audience. Absolutely. They'd have been laughing their head yeah. off. Now, it's a, I'm a little bit gutted because, you know, there should be a stone up there in the fort that says, you know, here are Cullen the two footprints. Here. Yeah, here are the footprints of Cucullan. But, but I, I was never shown it. I mean, it might well be there, but I was never shown yeah. it, unfortunately. Well, of course, Bluffnut is very impressed. Oh, she is. And she says, you know, that's not the sigh of a defeated warrior, basically. You know, she reads it as a, as a sigh of someone having worked very hard all night and succeeded. Yeah, she's impressed with him later when he runs off with her. They do run but off together But that's later. another story. That is another long story, indeed. And then, of course, um, Karoi returns. Yes, or returns in giant bunny ears. No, he doesn't return. No. Quotation marks. <laughs> He could. He's that kind of a guy. (laughs) Well, of course, he's carrying the heap of heads and arms that that Colin's left on the top of the hill. Yeah. So, again, it's this sort of very visible demonstration. He flings the gruesome spoils to the ground and announces, the man who's one night's trophies of these is definitely the man to guard a king's fort forever. And I like the way he adds, forever. Exactly, yeah. Let this be the last word on the subject. And then he once again, he tells him that the uh, The champion's portion in front of the other, he said it belongs to Cullen and no one else. Yeah. Again, along with the precedence for himself and his wife. wife. So he's given his judgment, Mm -hmm. and that should be the end of it, shouldn't it? Yeah. They all go back to uh, To heaven, and the story should be over. Yeah. But guess what? (laughs) It isn't. No. (laughs) This time it's uh, our beetle tongue. Yes, it's Dolphuck who once again is stirring things up. the crew bit. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a curious character. I was uh, just reading Mescolid earlier, which is The Intoxication of the Ulsterman, which in many ways is almost, I feel like it's a companion text to this one. But Can in, we put the text? Yeah, I'll put, a link, a, to the yeah, text. put a link to it up there. Because I think it's well worth reading in it the is. light of what we're talking about. It's another full story. Yeah. And I'm loath to add in another one now, but it's a really yeah. good story. But go on, it's sorry. Just the, des- the description of, uh, of Dovthuk mm. is that he actually has one of those mad spears that has to be kept in a vat of blood. Oh, another one. Yeah. That makes him more important, Exactly, actually. yeah. A, a vat or a cauldron which is full of the blood of cats and dogs and druids. And the head of the spear has to be in that because if it came out of it, it would spark, but it was also constantly muttering about war. Brian had one of those. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that's there's obviously something about Dovthuk that, that kind of his presence is just about strife and contention. Mm. And of course he goes, oh yeah, you know, um, no, it's not been decided. Yeah. You know, the champion's portion was not assigned to one of you in preference to the other. You know, and he says, as to Kuroi's judgment upon these three, not a whit did he concede to Cahullan upon their arriving at heaven. Yeah. So in other words, they still won't accept it. I know, because it didn't happen in heaven. It didn't happen. Yet they've been sent out of there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But they haven't managed to somehow bring it home. You know, but that's... something strange happens. Mm. and says, "I don't want it then." Exactly. Yeah, he he finally gives up, and, and he just says, "Look, I've had yeah. enough. You can give it to whoever you want. Yeah, I don't need this. Mm. It literally is. I don't need this." Yeah, yeah. And in a way, I think that that's where his sort of his melancholy and his foreboding has been sort of building through this story, mm. and this is kind of the result of it is yeah. for him to say, "I look, 
if you can't accept it, then I'm not interested. But it seems interesting that, again, he doesn't actually get a demonstration. Mm. You know, he can't finally get that champion's yeah. portion, which um, is, you know, to be accepted in mm. front of everybody else mm. until he's given up. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And in storyteller's terms, that makes sense to me. Yeah, but it's, I think it's interesting to get that level of sort of character development in a piece of literature from this age, yeah, you know? I almost start to like Cahoon mm, at this point. Mm. You know, up till now I've said, oh, he's a brat. Yeah, yeah. And in many of the stories in the toy, yeah. yeah, he is a brat. Exactly, yeah. And he's being laughed at an mm. awful lot all the way through this text. Yeah. But at this point, suddenly, you feel sympathy towards yeah, him. Yeah, he, he becomes quite human at this point. Yeah. And so we come to the grand conclusion. Yes. Well, let's set the scene. Yes. Concover and his Red Branch Knights are all together and it seems like they're fatigued after a day of gaming and exactly. sports yeah. and community game stuff together. <laughs> well, lads. Lads being lads. Lading, lads yeah, yeah. Lading they've been, around. They've been, anyway, they're, they're just ready for a bit of drinking. Absolutely. Quaffing. Yes. Suddenly into the court comes this hideous, huge, uncouth giant with all the protruding eyes and the meaty fists described as, you know, just... Exactly. Like, this is wh where we started this episode, was with this great description of the giant coming into the house and um, that he's so big he has to go right to the middle where the roof is highest. Well, this makes it clear that it's a roundhouse. I would say so, yeah. yeah. I think that fits the image. Um, and, of course, that means that he's standing right by the fire and Dovthuk Doyltenguk, our beetle-tongued friend... Um, starts ribbing him and saying, oh, you're blocking the fire and uh, all the rest of it. Um, even though he's been greeted rudely, Kuroi, who we know it to be, um, is quite polite in his reply. He's certainly good-natured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interestingly, he, he says, he describes this thing about having been an international traveller. Yes. Rather like we were talking earlier. Yeah. Um, but also, like, uh, with a text such as The Children of Turin, you get this sort of more... There's a bigger geographical world involved. Yeah, he says, um, I've been, you know, neither in Erin, in Ireland, or in Alba, Scotland, Scotland. in Europe, or in Asia, or um, Africa, yeah. including Greece, yes. Scythia, the Isles of Gades, I'm not sure where that is, the Pillars of Hercules, yes. and Bregan's Tower, as Brigantium. Yes. Have I found anyone to accept the quest that I've come to you on? So he's saying, I've been all over the world. Yes. And, you know, the men of Ulster... Yeah. You're going to give me what I want. Exactly. Yeah. And he's putting them in a, not in just intertribal mm, but competition, but international. In a, in a, you know, global competition yeah, yeah, as yeah. far as it's concerned. Exactly. And it also, the, the, this is obviously the literary version. Yes, which, which has that kind of slightly more expansive feel to it. And as we said before with Kuroi, when he was being described as, you know, not being at home, that it's partly an indication of his, his otherness and his otherworldness. Mm. But it is also a bit like the, the episode with Hercules, you know, that, um, you know, been all around these mighty empires of the world, but no one has yet given me fair play. And it's fair, well, fair play. Fair play is important. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for someone who will keep their word. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's <laughs> again, it's one of those great sort of fairy tale tricks that he comes in and he goes, if anyone is going to, you know, give me fair play, it'll be ye Osterman. And they go, Oh, of course we will. Yes, of course. We're very good at that. And then he explains. Exactly. Yes. And what he explains is that I want one of you to accept the challenge. Yes. Today, tonight, here in this hall, I am going to cut your head off. And tomorrow, you can cut my hair head off. Yes. Yeah, right. No wonder nobody's taking it up. Well, yeah. But the thing is that um, whenever our fat-necked friend, um, he's actually kind of sharp enough to see 
that because what Kuroi, what this stranger, as he is, uh, is looking for, is that fairness of reciprocity, which of course is so central to Irish society, that it doesn't matter who goes first. Yeah. And is so it, he manages to point out... Is it fat neck or is it just brass neck? Well, a <laughs> little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. You know, you he, know? he's sort of, he's got... He, he, he's the one who just takes up, who sees the joke, yeah. if you like, and goes, ah, come on, I'll take up your challenge, but we'll do it with the other way around. Exactly. But, you see, it's it's also, I think, because in Ireland, or and particularly in the Ulster Court of Concover, um, you know, that's where people really understand the principle of fair play mm-hmm. that Kuroi is to looking to demonstrate. Where it can go the other way. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it, they get the joke. Yeah, yeah. And it, so, and I just think they're all astonished. It's yeah. become a bit of verbal, it's a verbal exactly, game. Exactly, yeah. Until Kuroi says, okay. All right, here's the axe. <laughs> and they go, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, so, uh, of course, we've seen what happens. Yes. Um, our brass-necked warrior yes. cuts off Kuroi's head yes. and the head rolls across the ground and um, it's obviously no trick. Yeah. The axe goes right through his neck. Into the it block. It sticks into the block. Yeah. They make a point of that, that it stays mm. stuck in the block. It's mm. such a great blow. But that is, there's blood everywhere. Yeah. The whole court is full of blood. Yeah. And when he picks up his head, which must be an incredible moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. imagine everyone go, no, nah, no, nah, yeah. don't believe this. Yeah. And then he leaves with his head in one hand yeah. and the axe with the block and all. Yeah. Yeah. In the other hand, yeah. with blood still spurting yeah. from his neck. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's very, you know, it's obviously wondrously gory, but it it does also have that kind of very emphatic realness about it, you know. Um, it's a if it, if it's a joke, yeah. it's certainly a, a good yeah. one. It, well, it's sort of it's the point I think where when you realise that it's not a joke, yeah, you know, yeah. that this is actually oh god, he is going to come back tomorrow and he's going to cut my head off. Yeah. You know, and uh, is it Fergus then? Who is it who points out? It's Beetletang. Oh, it's Doyle. It's Doyle it Tang is Beetletang who says, you know, he goes, well, if the backlack having been killed tonight comes back tomorrow, he won't leave a man alive in Ulster. Exactly. In other words, he could have us all that yeah. way. Because we can't say no. Yes, yeah. Now that we've said, yes, this will, you know, and we'll uphold held, this. You know, and he's talked about, you know, only in Ulster will yeah. people keep their word. Yeah. And we've said we will. Yeah. And... We can't. Yeah. Because yeah. it'll kill us all. Exactly. And interestingly enough, I mean, the first two reneges is, um, is Fatnick himself. Of course. He hasn't yes. got the brass neck to go through it. Yeah. Through with it. But no one really expects him to either. I don't think so. But what's interesting, the following night when he comes back and mm. finds that, uh, you know, Fatnick's gone. Yeah. It's that he asked for Loigra. By name. By name. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of starting to show his real purpose. You know, is that he he knows that Loigra is there and that, you know, he's in contention for this, for the status. And he really goes him into taking up the. Yeah. And Loigra does it. Yeah, yeah. But once again. He skips out the following night. Yeah, he can't go through with it either. And of course, the same thing happens to Colonel. What a surprise. (laughs) Yes. And. But But when it it comes to. to Cuchol. Yeah. Now, this is the moment I find so interesting Mm. because Cuchol just went. Why should I? Exactly. I'm like, I don't want to yeah. play the game. Yeah, says, I'm out of it. I'm out of it. Yeah. I've given up. I told you. Mm. Not interested in the uh, the you you know you've you've disputed too much. Yeah, and I'm not doing it. Yeah, oh, he's just turned his back and goes. I'm not playing. Yeah, it's yeah. simple as that. No, I'm not playing. Mm. And that is, I think, the turning point. Yes. Yeah. Um, and everyone's there to watch, thinking mm. Cullen's going to bro- rag his way through. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't. No, he's he's just not interested. But once again, there's. A couple of factors, you know, we know that he has to go through with this, mm-hmm. that he has to take up the challenge and the axe. 
and there's a couple of elements in it. One element is that it seems that Concover, who after all is either his uncle or his grandfather, depending on mm-hmm. which version of Cuchulain's conception you read. So he's a close kin, very close kin. Um, Concover says to Cuchulain, if you don't go through with this, he says it will be my death. Mm. And I think what it means is that it's the death of his his honour uh, as and the patriarch. Earlier the on, he's had... Seneca. Yes. He's had said, one here will be found worthy. Exactly. And yeah. he's thinking of Cullen, I'm sure all he All the is. time, all the time. I think it's one of those things where, you know, everyone plays along, but they they, sort of, they know how it has to end, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that Cullen is refusing to play. And finally. also, Cullen has always been known he will have a short life and a glorious one. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they expect that mm. he's made all these, he has all this other world power. Yeah. He's got now to make good his boasting. Yeah, yeah. And he says, no. Yeah. But, once again, he is taunted into taking up the axe. He has to be made angry, doesn't he? Exactly, yeah. So, once again, you know, he has to be goaded into taking on an other world adversary that has, you know... Oh, just like Loic does it earlier. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and... with with similar results that taunts him with his sort of pun on his name, doesn't he? Yeah, he calls him a little fly and a squinter <laughs> and all these things, and they really aren't translatable, unfortunately. Yeah, but they yeah. work with the Irish. Absolutely, yeah. Down down the line, they really do. So yeah, it's like being taunted and being called a coward again, you know, mm. or that he won't fulfil the honour of Ulster and all this kind of thing. Till in the end, he can't stand it anymore. Yeah. And he just picks up the axe and he just rushes over, essentially, and lobs the head off the buckler. Yeah, he doesn't even wait till he yeah. puts his head on the block. Yeah. He just gives it a sweep, like, yeah. a, like a sort of hurly stroke. Yes. <laughs> Sides his head off. Yeah. And the head just goes up into the roof. Yeah. It? And now, the top rafter of the red branch and the whole all shook. Yes, of course. And then I love the way that, that, that then he doesn't even stop then. Colin catches up the head, mm. gives it another blow yeah. with the axe and smashes the head. Yeah. He thinks, you know, it's, it's zombie territory. Yeah, it is a bit. Right, you know, if he can't... Raise your chainsaw. Right, yeah. get the head, get yeah. the brains, kill the brains. Exactly. If he smashes the brains, he can't possibly put yeah. the head back on. And that was something that was very current in Irish thinking of the time, was that, you know, that the head and the brain... Intelligence in the head, yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, biologically true. Yeah. Well, it's probably better than having it in the heart. Yeah, which is where the Greeks and, you know, yeah. those luminaries such as Aristotle assumed it to be. So, you know, all this kind of occult of headhunting and so on, they kind of knew what they were on about, you know. Mm. They knew that the brain was really important for that. And Very so, clever of him. Yeah. You know, in other yeah. words, it, it, it's like the which, which story is it where, um, oh, it's like the grey eye and the eye, you keep them away or the Medusa's head. Oh, yes. But as long as you have to keep the head well away, yeah. where the body can't get it. Yes, exactly. So that um, they can't be, they can't join up again. Yeah, there's several stories. Yes, yeah. So again, we've got those kind of elements but it does seem to be done if you like in an unthinking rage and once the act is done then Cuchulain is bound to carry it through and it still doesn't work the butler gets up and walks away with his smashed up head exactly yes but the, and so Cuchulain then knows that he is doomed to be beheaded the following night mm. because he's not going to run and this time he takes it seriously yeah there's no crowing exactly there's no overconfident boasting yeah he's certainly not happy it's almost as though all his melancholy mm. foreshadowed this moment exactly. the sadness the depression yeah the melancholy is yeah. all almost an over a pre 
shadowing yes. of this event. Exactly. Yes. We're being told that he's miserable because mm. of something that's going to happen to yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. And, and it does. Yeah, and it is, it's that sort of passing through Gethsemane, really, you know, that he... It really is, He does it? stay with it, you know, that his sadness is because there's no question of him reneging on the deal. You know, now that he started it, he has to see it through. You know, he it really kind of has that sense of having no choice, mm. even though the other heroes chose not to fulfil the bargain. Yeah, and yeah, and he goes through it. Yeah. He really goes mm. through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is your, your real dark moment. Yeah, yeah. Because the backlog, I mean, Kuroi even makes it worse. Yeah. He? he really puts oh, Gordon yeah. through the mill. Yeah, when he comes back again the following night and uh, he asks Cúchalan, who's there and ready, you know, and not hiding and not running away, asks him to lay out his head along on the block um, but when Cuchulain does this he says oh well I'll never hit you you know you've got this tiny squishy little neck you have to stretch it out a bit more and so Cuchulain is sort of elongating and twisting you know sort of diff- uh, contorting his neck to try and stretch it out and uh, the he's going to get on with it just yeah, do it just exactly do it. yeah just make an end of it you know I didn't I didn't hesitate yesterday when I uh, struck your head off so why are you get, making me suffer um, but the buckler keeps on saying, no, I still can't hit it. You've got to get your head all the way over to the other side of the block. And it has this description about how Cuchulain then stretches out his neck and his back so that a warrior's foot would fit between two Eat ribs. Ribs, yeah. You yeah. know? It's, again, it's very visceral. It's very, yeah. it's tortuous. Yeah, it really is. It's the sort of stretched on a rack yeah. thing. And I think I'll read the last mm. passage. Yeah. The buckluck raised his axe until it reached the roof tree of the hall. The creaking of the old hide that was about the fellow and the crashing of the axe, both his arms being raised aloft with all his might, were as the loud noise of wood tempest tossed in a night of storm. Down it came then on his neck, its blunt side below. All the nobles of Ulster gazing upon them. And that just that one, its mm. blunt side down. Yeah. And... Anyone who knows Gawain knows that yes, um, that, that happens three times three to times. Gawain. Yeah. But here, it's the torturing of him stretching yes. out his neck. Yeah. We'll come back to Gawain yeah, we later will. in we'll comparison. Later, yeah. But that moment when he's done it, he's achieved. Mm. And so Cahullan has publicly, yeah. definitively, demonstrated his right to the champion's portion. Exactly. And yeah. he gets it. Yeah. No more arguments. Mm. And then just at the very end of the text, it says, by the way, the person who was doing all of this beheading was Kuroi. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's it's it the reminds... audience would have known that all the way through exactly, and it reminds me of the the bit in Kathmagatsirid after the Dagda and the woman have met mm-hmm. at Unshin, and then at the very end it says the woman mentioned here is the Morrigan. Again, that suggests that what was an oral story mm-hmm. that everybody knew exactly now needs some explanation. Yeah, yeah, because it's in a new context. That is the end of the text. End of part one. To continue the conversation. Listen to part two.